Wherever we go, we try to make friends. Some friends are only friends with us for a season of our lives. We part ways with them, and though we do not forget about one another, we just don't remain as close as when we were in that particular season of life together. For those of you who graduated college, uh, you remember this kind of time where you were surrounded by a group of friends, you were all going through the same thing, and then once graduation hit, it's kind of like, all right, see ya, bye. Um, and you know, for those of you who are still here uh, for, for City College, uh, well, you know, it's still the same. Uh, you know, you have your City College friends right, that, are, that are near you. Uh, and, and you know what? Even though there are some people who do kind of fade out of our lives, there are others who, for whatever reason, become our lifelong friends. And although these friends, these kinds of friends, are much harder to come by, um, they are the most precious of friends. Uh, in fact, if you want to think about it this way, in our lives, our circle of friends is in a constant state of ebb and flow. At times, our group of friends is growing, but at other times, it's also shrinking. Friends are a gift to us from God, and if we're going to appreciate God's gift of friendship uh, with others uh, to us to the fullest, then let's see what the Proverbs have to tell us about friendship, uh, how to make the most of this precious gift that God gives. Now, like I said earlier, we're not uh, going to find ourselves in a primary Bible text tonight, uh, just because there's no long primary text uh, that speaks about friends, uh, but there's a bunch of, uh, bunch of ones that we can look to. So we're going to go all through the book of Proverbs, so uh, have your Bibles ready or um, have your apps open and ready to switch. Okay, we're going to be hopping around pretty quickly. So, um, and, and of course, obviously, because we're talking about friendship, there are all sorts of facets of friendship uh, that we will not have time to cover as a result. But uh, we're just trying to look at some basic principles for our friendship. And so our goal tonight is to look at the relationship between wisdom and friendship as we explore, number one, the importance of wisdom in choosing friends, and number two, the importance of wisdom in keeping friends. Okay, so number one, the importance of wisdom in choosing friends, and number two, the importance of wisdom in keeping friends. And if you missed that, we will be going, uh, I'll give you those titles again uh, when we get there. Now, number one, the importance of wisdom in choosing friends. Uh, another way that we can look at this point is by asking the question, what character qualities does a good friend have? What character qualities does a good friend have? Throughout the book of Proverbs, a, a common thread that we have seen is this comparison between uh, those who are wise and those who are fools. And when it comes to choosing our friends, this distinction is important for us to consider. Uh, we want to make friends who fear God rather than those who reject God, because those who fear God are the ones who will point us to follow after him. Uh, Solomon tells us in Proverbs 1.7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs 9, Solomon teaches his son that the fear of the Lord is not just the beginning of knowledge, it's the beginning of wisdom. Right? It's, to, it's learning how to skillfully live out life. And so if we know who God is, and we act according to his righteous character, then we will learn how to skillfully navigate life. We'll learn how to be wise. You see, fools 
they don't just despise righteousness. Fools also despise God himself in the name of fun, in the name of enjoying life. And this is not saying, by the way, that we can't have fun in this life or that those who engage in foolish behavior at times despise God. When, when, when Solomon's speaking about the fool, he's talking about someone who is routinely and continually characterized by foolishness. Okay, we all joke around. Uh, he, he, and so Solomon is not talking about people who joke around or can be silly at times, but he's talking about those who know what God says. They, they know what God commands. They choose not to do it, and they ignore God. Right. Why, why don't you want this kind of person in your life as a friend? Uh, why shouldn't we be so keen to let them uh, be in a position to influence us? Well, turn with me to Proverbs uh, verse 14. Proverbs verse 14, um, verses 6 to 9. Okay, Proverbs 14, verse 6 to 9. It says this. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. But knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is good will. So, people who are characterized as foolish, they're not always completely ignoring wisdom, right? Sometimes they will happen to run across wisdom. Sometimes they will um, live by some wisdom principles, but the wisdom that they seek, it ultimately falls short of true wisdom because true wisdom is found in God alone, right? That's what Solomon told us earlier in Proverbs 1 and in Proverbs 9. And so those who know where wisdom is found, they're going to find it real easy in the Lord. And that's the reason why, in verse 7, uh, we are counseled to leave the presence of a fool. Because wisdom is found in God. Uh, for those who are fools, they're not going to uh, lead you towards righteousness. They're not going to lead you towards what the truth is. Uh, if you desire to, to learn how you may live a life that pleases God, you don't do so by seeking help from those who don't believe in him at all. Right? Be wary of getting your friendship or relationship advice from an unbeliever. Do not determine your life goals in your retirement plans based on the lives of other people that you see on social media. Do not try to understand the things of God from a Google search or YouTube videos. Sure, there are certain people who are good uh, that you might run across on a Google search and YouTube videos, but there are a lot of people who have some really bad ideas, some really unbiblical ideas about God on Google and, and YouTube. Right? Um, this might be a little more, um, a little more antiquated, but uh, don't just trust that an author is be, is good because you found their book in a Christian bookstore uh, or a online Christian bookstore, uh, or you found them in the faith and spirituality section at a Barnes and Noble. They still have those, by the way. Okay, seek wisdom in God because he is the he is the one in whom true wisdom can be found. Now, worldly wisdom does at times overlap with godly wisdom, but true wisdom 
will keep us away from sin and it'll help us to live lives that please the Lord. Um, and, and this is the wisdom that's found in God. And for that reason, verse 8 reminds us that those who are wise will understand their lives according to God's wisdom. We'll understand who we are, what we're going through from man's perspective rather than, and from God's perspective rather than man's perspective. If we are trying to understand who we are and what we're going through in this life from our own perspective or from the perspective of people around us, we will, will more often than not delude ourselves into thinking that we are wise and are pursuing wisdom. But we run the risk of deceiving ourselves. You know, there are times in our lives where we might, uh, we might be seeking counsel. We want to know what the right decision is. Right? We want to act according to what is wise. That's a good desire. I, I would love for all of us to, to try and uh, live in a way that is wise. But the thing is, how are we defining wisdom? How are we defining wisdom? Is our wisdom being defined by the scriptures? by what we know God says? Or is our wisdom being defined by everyone around us? And that's what we have to consider. Uh, and if we're not getting our wisdom from God, then we need to be asking ourselves, where's that wisdom coming from? And where's that wisdom coming from? Is it coming from our peers? Is it coming from uh, older Christians? Is it coming from our parents? Even if it comes from these trusted sources, where is their wisdom coming from? Where is their wisdom coming from? Is their wisdom compatible with the wisdom that we receive from God's word? You know, all of these factors uh, we must consider as we seek wisdom in our lives. Because you know what, brothers and sisters? You're going to get bad counsel in your life. You're going to get bad counsel in your life. So... And sometimes it it's, uh, comes from the least expected people. So we need to make sure that whatever wisdom we're taking in, we're comparing it to the scriptures, that we're taking it back to God's word and we're trying to see, does it square up? Does it match what God has clearly taught? Or is this actually unwise? And where clear teaching does not exist, that's where we look to the principles of scripture. What has what has scripture generally said about this issue that I have a question about? Um, you know, we, we want to make sure that we pursue wisdom, not just because the Bible says so, right? But we want to pursue wisdom out of a love for God, a love for God that desires to please him. And that's the difference in our obedience, right? For, for some people, obedience is kind of like, oh, okay, fine, I'll do it just because you said so, right? Uh, especially if, uh, you know, in your teenage years, oh, I guess so, right? I'll, I'll, I'll take out the trash because you told me to, but I don't want to, right? But, you know, now the way that we're trying to obey God is because, no, it's because we love God. We want to please him. And that's why we want to pursue wisdom. And, and as a result, that's why we have to be mindful of the company we keep. Because the foolish, it says here, they mock the idea of sin. Right? Verse 9, mock, the foolish mock sin. 
But among the upright, there is goodwill. Right? The foolish mock sin and the idea of sin. Turn, uh, turn with me to Proverbs 1, 10 to 19. Proverbs 1, 10 to 19. Verse 10. Solomon says to his son, Rehoboam, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse, my son. Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to bloodshed. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie and wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who, uh, of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. When you see... Or when you hear Solomon's warning to Rehoboam, you're probably getting flashbacks of your parents warning you to stay away from the kids who do the bad stuff at school. And there was a good reason why uh, there was that warning. As Solomon notes, these people, right, these bad kids, they're the ones who are enticing you to sin. And they're enticing you to sin with them. And what we know is that they're not going to get away with their sin for long. As Solomon says in verse 18, they ambush their own lives. Now, obviously, no, one's, no one is ever going to come up to you directly and be like, hey, you want to go sin? And they're not going to say that to you so directly, so blatantly. But be on the lookout as you meet people, as you observe their behavior over time. You'll see what's in their hearts. You're going to see what kind of person they are. Just because they're nice to you at work doesn't mean that that's who they really are. Jesus affirms this in Luke 6, 45, when he says, The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Proverbs 10, 23 says this, Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. Likewise, acting according to wisdom is like sport to a man of understanding. There is joy that comes with doing what is right and pleasing to God. If those who are wicked, those who are unwise, practice wickedness like a sport, those are not the kind of people that you want to hang out with. Those are not the kind of people that you want to grab your life advice from. You want to seek the wisdom that is found in the Lord. Proverbs 12, 26 tells us that those who are righteous are those who will guide his neighbor in the way of righteousness. The righteous will help those, uh, will help those around them try and pursue righteousness. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. So if we can see that a friend tends to lead us more towards sin or things that are unwise. We ought to reconsider whether that's a friend that we want to uh, continue to have close to us, uh, whether we want their voice in our ears, uh, because they're, they, they're tending to lead us towards disobedience.
Uh, turn with me to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, we'll be looking at verse 24 to 25. It says this, Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Solomon is in this section telling Rehoboam to listen carefully to his words so that Rehoboam's trust may be in the Lord. And as he's trying to teach his son how to trust in the Lord, he's also giving him some wisdom about life. And he's saying, look out for these angry people. Don't hang out with angry people because you're going to learn to be angry. You're going to learn to respond like them. In our current culture, it's fashionable for us to blame our character flaws on the people around us. It's not unusual to even hear Christians say that the reason why they are such angry people is because they've inherited their anger from their father or from their mother. However, when we use these kinds of excuses to describe uh, our personality flaws, if you will, we fail to understand, to properly understand, that we're not talking about a personality flaw. We're talking about sin. We're talking about sin. Now, we might be influenced by the anger or other character qualities that our parents or other people around us display. We might learn those behaviors from them by being around them. But being around them does not make us sin. You are responsible for your own sin. But you can learn from the sins of others. And the sins of others do not determine that you're going to be destined to sin in this particular way. But it can provide a model for us to follow, to follow when we encounter similar situations. So we don't blame it on our parents, we don't blame it on our friends, but what we do recognize is that they, do, they can teach us how to respond to circumstances. We can choose to respond in a different way than what we've been taught though. And so Solomon's warning is a reminder that the people we surround ourselves with are often the people that we become like. In a sense, we would all agree with that on a positive note. That's what discipleship is, right? If you're hanging around godly people, you will hopefully learn from their godliness, from their godly example, and, and want to be like Christ just like they are. But if we spend the bulk of our time with unbelievers and allow for their way of thinking, their way of life, their language, their values to influence us more than the believers in our lives or the scriptures, then it is no surprise that some of us, though we call ourselves Christians and say we believe in God, look no different than unbelievers when it comes to our approach in life. And it's hard. It's hard because the majority of the week, ever since you were little, you were probably around unbelievers the majority of your life, right? For school, if you didn't go to a Christian school, or actually even if you did go to a Christian school, you were around unbelieving kids five out of the seven days a week. When you were in college, the same thing. 
Right? Now when you're working, it's the same thing. So we spend a ton of time with unbelievers, and it's so easy to allow for their way of life, their thinking, their language, their values to influence us more than the believers and the, uh, than the believers in our lives and the scriptures. Right? We, we joke about Joel Osteen and about how it's not good to live our best life now, but what is the thing that we encourage one another to do when it comes to the shortness of life? Live your best life. Right? Or, oh, wow, you're living your best life. Hey, guys, we accidentally let Joel Osteen into our lives. <laughs> it was an accident, but we did. Right? And, and when it comes to this, right, if you're feeling a little bit defensive, you got to, hey, wait, what about this? Right? Please wait, take a moment and consider what you know about God's nature. Take a moment to consider what you know about God's nature. The God who loves you also calls you to be holy as he is holy. He calls you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the details. This God who calls us all to obedience, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Yes, he does sympathize with our weaknesses, but he does not give us a free pass to sin. He does not give us a free pass to sin. It's for that reason, Paul says in Romans 6, that the grace God gives to forgive us of our sins does not mean that we should sin still more so that we can get more of God's grace. We should want to sin less because we know that sin displeases the Lord and makes us a poor testimony of his goodness. This is why we want to make sure that we are pursuing good friends, wise friends who will encourage us to walk with the Lord. We don't want to pick up sin habits. We want to pick up godliness. A good friend is a wise friend, and a wise friend is a friend who leads us towards God, not away from him. And so if we found a good friend, we have found a good friend indeed. But wisdom isn't the only thing that marks a good friend. And we're going to see more of that as we look at point number two, the importance of wisdom in keeping friends. The importance of wisdom in keeping friends. Now, our last point, we were looking at the overall character qualities of a good friend. They're wise. Or they point us to truth. Now, what do good friends do? How do good friends act? That's what we're going to be looking at here in the second point. Now, obviously, a good friend is going to act wisely, but we're going to see that wisdom lived out in how they interact with us in life. Um, Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So those who are friends, who are true friends indeed, these are the people who love us at all times. Right? They're going to love us in the good times. They're going to love us in the bad times. They're going to, to be with us. They're going to walk with us. They're going to stick through with us. Now, the second half of the verse, it's a little more ambiguous in its meaning. Because uh, it, it, almost, it almost seems like it's saying uh, that friends are better, better than brothers because brothers, uh, they're the ones who introduce adversity into your lives. Now, I know for some of you who have younger brothers, you're probably like, yeah, that's so true. Uh, but no, that's not, what the, that's not what Solomon is saying here. What Solomon is saying is that, yes, friends will love us at all times, but um, our siblings, right, or you know, in this case, the brother, 
is someone who's not just going to love you at all times. They're going to stand with you in adversity. They're not going to abandon you in adversity. There is an intensification of the love of a true friend. A true friend loves you not just in word, but in deed. And when they do that, they're like our brothers. They're like our sisters. It's easy, even though you know we don't like using that word, it's easy just to say, I love you. It's so easy just to say those words. Yeah, I love you. But it's so hard. It's so hard to actually live that love out. Because there's, there are times where we, where we um, you know, make each other upset. But see, that's, that's the thing. Even if we make each other upset, this is where that love needs to cover the offense. This is where that love needs to go beyond that offense. So that we act in love even when the other person is making us mad. That's what a true friend is. That's what a friend um, who truly loves you and wants to point you to God will do for you. And that's what they will do to you. And they're going to love you beyond these little things. They're going to stand by you. They're going to prove their love for you. And they're going to encourage you to do the same when you're, um, uh, when you're struggling too. Um, at times, I think we can forget what a friend is. Proverbs 18.24, just skip over to the next chapter. Um, it says this, A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What does that mean? Well, it means that we may meet a lot of people in our lives, right? We might even be able to surround ourselves with a lot of people that we can call friends. But as many of you are painfully aware, not many of these friends remain close to us throughout all seasons of our lives. It's possible for us to have a lot of friends, but still be lonely because the friends that we've made that we thought were close are not as close as we thought they were. The ones who are close to us, who prove themselves through how they stay close to us and love us, uh, even in these times of trials, those are the friends who stick by you and they're closer than a brother. That's the deepest type of friendship um, outside of marriage, is those who, who will stick by you no matter what. Many of you know who've gone through trials that a lot of your friends who are probably more on the acquaintance level, they're the ones who will not really be there for you. They'll maybe say some things that uh, are socially appropriate to comfort you, but they're not going to check in on you. They're not going to keep up with you. Um, and, you know, maybe it's not sin on their part. Maybe it's, uh, especially if they're Christians, maybe they just don't know you like that. That's okay. Right? But we do see a difference between a true friend, someone who will come alongside you, and an acquaintance. If we have too many acquaintances and we think that everyone is our best friend, we might not have a lot of best friends. We might not know what the definition of a friend is. So this love... right, This love that good friends show us at all times is perhaps not what you would expect. I think sometimes we expect love 
that is that is going to be shown towards us by our friends is going to be love that that uh, caters to how we like to be loved. Um, many of you are aware of, of that book, the the five love languages, and some of you have added your own love languages to that. Um, and uh, it's a it's an interesting concept. It's a helpful concept. But if you really look at what love languages say and the attitude behind love languages, basically all we're saying is if you truly love me, then you're going to love me by, uh, if you're a gift person, giving me gifts. You're going to love me by having intentional conversations with me. You're going to love me by, you know, what X, Y, Z. It's not wrong for you to appreciate certain methods of being loved. But if that's the only way that you register that someone loves you, that's not legitimate. We call that idolatry. That's selfishness. That's saying the only way that you can possibly bow down to me Right? Obviously, you're not going to use that vocabulary, but this is what this is this is you know expanded of what we're actually saying. The only way that you can show me your devotion to me is if you love me by giving me gifts or spending quality time with me. That's the only way that you can show me love. That's a selfishly motivated desire for love. It's not always wrong, but when it becomes when it, when it breaks boiling to the boiling point and we're saying nobody here loves me because they don't love me by doing whatever it is, that's when your love becomes an idol. When your desire for love becomes an idol, you have to love me in this way or it is not love. My, my professor uh, for my marriage and family counseling class um, jokingly said, said to us, that God purposely gave him a wife who does not love him according to his need for, uh, or his uh, supposed need for affirmation to teach him that he doesn't need those words of affirmation. To teach him that he needs to rely on the Lord for his satisfaction, not his wife. And I think that was something that was really helpful for me to hear because I think there are times where we think, no, the person... I marry needs to love me in this particular way. Otherwise, I don't feel loved. And what God is saying to us is, no, that person was never meant to fulfill you like that. Only I am supposed to fulfill you like that. Don't find your satisfaction, uh, your soul satisfaction in your spouse. Find it in me. You need me. You need your spouse, but you need me more. And so this love that we experience from our friends, it's not always what we'd expect. The love that is shown towards us should be a reflection of the love that God shows us. It's a love that looks out for our good. It's a love that spurs us on towards godliness. And for this reason, we should not expect our friends to love us as we want them to love us at all times. And what I mean by that statement is that your true friends are not the people who always take your side. They're not the ones who always tell you that you're right or do 
things for you to make you happy. They're not always those. They're, they're, true friends are not always those kinds of people. True friends, they're going to love you and they're going to tell you hard things. Things that you don't want to hear. Proverbs 27, verse 5 to 6 says this. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What this proverb is telling us is that it is better for us to be loved through someone who cares about us enough to openly rebuke us when we are sinning than it is for someone to say they love us, but they allow us to continue on in our sin. They enable us in our sin. They say, no, 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 you're fine. Don't worry about it. You weren't sinning. It's okay. You're justified in feeling offended. We need people to call us out. We need people to call us out. We need people to say, no, brother or sister, brother or sister I know that hurt, but your response was wrong. And obviously, we follow Matthew 18 principles. You do it in private. You don't try, try and shame them. But we need to tell people when the perspective's not right. And yes, there are times when we are rebuked and it hurts a lot. Maybe it hurts a lot because we realize how sinful we are. That's good. You should want to feel that hurt. But sometimes the people who rebuke us, the people who confront us, they don't always do so very kindly. Maybe they're a little abrupt in their language. Maybe they're not as gracious as we would have wanted them to be. And that's where we have to remember verse 6. Our friends who love us enough to wound us, hopefully, even if they're doing it in a wrong way, they're still doing so because they want us to turn away from sin, to obey God. And we have to remember what they're trying to do, even if they don't do it in the right way. The, the friends who stay silent in our sins, who uh, enable us in our sins, who stand off to the side, they don't do anything at all, they don't tell you. Maybe they don't know any better, that's true. And maybe they don't know any better to come and get us when we're stuck. But more often than not, we tend not to call out our brothers and sisters because we're afraid to do so. Because we don't want to be accused of legalism. We don't want to be accused of being mean. We don't want to lose a friend. We don't want uncomfortable conversations. But if we love our friends, we ought to strive to pull them back. We ought to strive to tell them hard things, to bring them back to the Lord. And for those of us who are in that position where we have to call out our friends, where we have to go get our friends. That's where we remember those Matthew 18 principles. Our goal in showing our brothers and sisters their sin is not shame. It's not embarrassment. It's to win them over to the truth. It's to win them back to the Lord. And that's why you speak the truth of the gospel to one another in love. We speak gospel truth to one another to help each other realize sin. You might be blind to it. I'm helping. I want to help you see it. I want to help you turn away from sin. I want to encourage you to pursue righteousness. And those of us who are being confronted, no one likes being confronted. 
Okay, we, but we have to remember that that confrontation, even if it's not done well, it can be for our good. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. I get it. Rebuke is not fun. I hate rebuke. And sometimes people who rebuke don't check themselves to remove the log from their eye before they come to us. Sometimes they don't even check to see if the thing that they are rebuking us for is actually sin. But when you have to receive rebuke, when you're receiving rebuke, take a moment and consider what your fellow believer is saying to you. Don't respond immediately. Or take some time to consider what is actually being said. If you're like me, sometimes you listen and, you're, and, and your mind jumps about, uh, it jumps to, um, to something else, right? Not, and, and it might not be what they intended. Listen to what they're actually saying and whether you might need to repent. And if you need to repent and return, Lord, do so as soon as you can. Don't be like, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, uh, I'll, get, I'll get to it later. Right? You know, take care of it right away. And if, however, you've examined yourself after someone's confronted you, you've perhaps even checked with a few other godly individuals, and you still believe that you've not sinned, you might feel a little mad. But you know what? You should praise God. You should praise God and be thankful to Him that you have someone in your life who loves you enough, that they saw something in your life that concerned them, and because they loved you, they desired to ask you about it, to see if you need to return to the Lord. That's a good friend. That's a good friend. And so if our desire is to grow in overall wisdom and godliness, we can still strive to have God's perspective on that situation and still be thankful, even if we might not appreciate the manner in which the confrontation was done. Now, at the same time, Okay, going back to those of you who might need to go confront other people, we're reminded that our job as good friends is to make sure that we're operating out of love when we do so. And that means that you have to be mindful of when we choose to love others or confront others in love. Right? If we confront others in the wrong way or at the wrong time, even if you're right, even if you have good intentions, you might actually make it more difficult for the person you're confronting to receive your counsel. Proverbs 27, 14 says this, He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. You morning people who live with, uh, you people who are not morning people and you live with a morning person, you probably relate to this verse a lot, don't you? And having a morning person come up to you early, super early when you are still in dreamland and they're saying, hello, good morning. Isn't this a great day? It's time to get out of bed. You're just like, just get out of my face, please. Right? It's just like, no, no, no. Don't come back to me and talk to me until I wake up. Right? Or for some of you, it's a, uh, don't come talk to me until I've had my coffee. And that's not a good uh, that's not a good attitude to have, by the way. Um, that's just an excuse for our sin, and there's no uh, there's no excuse for your crabbiness. Be kind, uh, but you know we understand, right? If if we do something like that to someone, um, we're probably gonna not be regarded very highly. And in a similar way, if you know. 
that perhaps someone's having a bad day, right? It just looks like they're having a hard day and they they have a bad response to you. They're maybe not as polite uh, to you as they should be or not as kind. Um, you know, if you know that they're having a bad day, maybe it's a, it's it's okay for you to to come back and talk to them at another time. But at the same time, you still want to be able to talk with them pretty close to the incident so that it's not just kind of coming out from the background. Uh, it's not coming out all at once. It's like, hey, uh, so I've noticed this and uh, this and then this and then uh, a few months ago you did this. Last year you did that. No, you, you want to try and confront them about the incident as soon as possible. Maybe they're not ready to hear it right then at that moment, but try and get to them as soon as possible when they've calmed down and they can uh, be a little more rational. Uh, rational. Proverbs 25, 20. It says this, uh, like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. Uh, if you consider whether someone needs to be confronted or not, uh, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're uh, trying to understand their situation. Right? Is, uh, is their sin maybe something that was unintentional? It's just a, a one-off kind of thing. They don't, they're not always like this. Maybe it's just a, a, a bad uh, day or whatever, right? Or is it something that's habitual? Right? That's what we need to weigh in the balance. Um, and so this proverb reminds us that an untimely word can actually be more harmful than it is helpful. Right? Someone who's cold does not need uh, uh, their friend to come up to them and say, I'll take that jacket from you. Right? They don't need that. Um, if, you're, if you're trying to... Um, if you're trying to clean um, with uh, with uh, sodium carbonate, you wouldn't pour vinegar on it because that that vinegar would neutralize the sodium carbonate. And similarly, if you're trying to minister to someone, you look at them, you think that they're sad, and you try and sing a happy song for them, and you're just like, "Hey, be happy! Turn that frown upside down!" Right? Whatever happy song you can think of, that could actually do more harm, do more damage than good if you've not judged the situation correctly. Right? If someone's in deep grief, don't be like, oh yeah, you're fine. No, you'll get over it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you don't say that. That's not compassionate. That's not kind at all. And so instead of assuming that you know what people need or, or that uh, they shouldn't be thinking like that anyway, so, you know, get over yourself. That's, you know, we, that's not the kind of, of way that we interact with people. We want to be mindful of what's going on in their lives, whether this is an actual sin pattern or whether this is just something that we can overlook. And along those lines, right, if we find ourselves in a situation where correction is necessary, and whoever we're confronting, they saw their sin, they repented. Um, our actions as true friends, we, we restore them, we forgive them, and we don't bring it up ever again. Okay, We restore them, we forgive them, don't bring it up ever again. Proverbs 17.9 tells us that he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Once true friends resolve a matter, the matter is over. It's in the past. Don't bring it up again. As we know in 1 Peter 4, 8, we're supposed to keep fervent in our love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And when we say love covers a multitude of sins, we're not saying that we're just going to excuse sin all the time. 
and we're just going to sweep it on the rug um, or whatnot. That's not what this means. Love covering a multitude of sins is willingness by the offended party to overlook an unintended sin that was committed against us by another person. It is a willingness by the offended party to overlook an unintentional sin that was committed against us by another person or even a group of people. For instance, if we greet someone and they respond to us in a very rude or impatient manner as they're rushing past us, sure, it's probably going to rub you the wrong way. But love is willing to overlook that potential sin against us. Or someone's sick, they're really they're they're not feeling well, and they're just grunting at you. Don't assume that they're just not wanting to talk, and just you know, and uh, that they're being difficult. Right? What if they're super tired? What if they're super sick? We want to make sure that we, um, you know, overlook some of those things. Sometimes people don't mean it. Now, if it does become repeated and we confront them on whatever their sin is and they repent of their bad attitude, praise God. That's great. Right? We've won our brother or sister back to the Lord. But what Proverbs 17 is saying is that if they've repented, they've asked us for forgiveness, we've granted forgiveness, you don't bring it back up. You don't bring it back up against them as a weapon or as another example to prove our point. And if we continue to bring up the past on something that's already been forgiven, even the closest of friendships will not survive. Even the closest of friendships will not survive. That's what it means when it says that, uh, that he who repeats the matter will separate um, intimate friends. Now we're gonna end our time with some specific application. Okay, some specific application. We, we know that a good friend should be characterized by wisdom. They should possess wisdom and they should seek after wisdom uh, in the Lord and encourage us to do the same thing. And we also know that a good friend should be someone who loves us through the good times and the bad times. They should be willing to uh, give us a timely word of rebuke, which we need to accept humbly, even if it's not always in the manner that we prefer. But how does this uh, help us in real life? How do these Proverbs help us with our real relationships? Um, particularly, how can these Proverbs help us in our journey to make friends here at SFBC? It's uh, I actually noticed that uh, we do have uh, qu quite a, a, gr a great number of visitors uh, this evening. So hello, welcome. We're glad to have you. Um, this is kind of for you. Um, and, uh, you know, we have our flaws. We're not a perfect church. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we don't mind being transparent with you about this. But uh, you know, many of you who've come to SFBC post-college, you can probably relate to having difficulty making friends here. Right? It's, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. And sure, SFBC is warm and friendly initially, but after a while, it can be tough. Right After the first few weeks, uh, it can be tough to make friends. Uh, the people who were talking to you initially, they kind of don't come back sometimes. And, and if that's something that you still struggle with after being here for a little while, or if you're struggling with it currently because you're new, well, I do want to apologize. I'm sorry that, you, that you've uh, experienced that. Um, but I, I, would also encourage, I would encourage you to continue to press on. 
to continue to press on and to be patient as you're trying to get to know new people, especially during this pandemic. Uh, you know, and I am sorry that sometimes we get so busy and so crazy that you know, we, we forget to continue to love. That's something that we do need to work on. Um, you know, many college ministries are, are unique because, you know, we have same, same age peers together in one group going through, this, going through the same life circumstances. It's a wonderful time. But what we have to recognize is that life doesn't always function like the Christian bubble that many of us were in during college. Once we leave that lab environment of college, we're going to be in the real world. And for that reason, the transition from college to college ministry or even a really tight-knit church, it can be difficult when you get to a new church setting. And instead of playing the comparison game between churches, take your time to get to know the people at your new church and appreciate them for who they are rather than comparing them against your former group of friends at your last church, at your school, whatever it may be. Right? The culture of each church is different, so things are going to be different from your old church. But this doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. If you find that this church is not as, a, as transparent or as open about sharing what's going on in your life as uh, compared to your last church, don't give up just because you ask someone, what's God been teaching you? And then they, like, uh, I don't know, and they roll their eyes and walk away. Right? Or, um, or they just like, well, I don't, I don't know. It's been really hard. I haven't read my Bible. Uh, don't be discouraged just because of that. Right? Do what you can to create culture change. Try and have those conversations with other people. And you might strike out a lot. But when you find the people who are willing to talk about those things and willing to be open, you latch on to them. Those are, those are the friends who are going to run with you. And a great example of this is that initiative that some of you took to start up discussion groups to reflect upon the Sunday sermon in the middle of the week. And that's a wonderful way to build community and friendships as you reflect on Scripture together. Um, you know, friendships, they build over time. It's not like a Chia Pet where, you know, you cast the seas, put the water, and then bam, cheap it. Friendship takes time. And it's a wonderful part of our church life together. And if you've been here for a while, I encourage you to make sure that you don't forget our newer brothers and sisters. I know that we're all busy. But if we all make it a priority to reach out to one person outside of our immediate friend group or Bible study group or whatever it might be, you're going to form connections. Right? No one's going to be left behind. And I understand that these are unique times and that we've not been able to meet as a church for the majority of the year. But I bring this up as an application point because this is not a pandemic-induced problem for our fellowship. It's existed before. So we can excel still more in our love for one another and learn to act more like true friends as a group. Okay, we can excel still more. We do pretty good, but we can do better. We can do better. And you know, that being said, I also understand that this type of in-depth friendship and friendship building, it does require a lot of work. You know, even now, I'm sure some of you are thinking about what it would mean to intentionally meet up with another person outside of your friend group. And uh, you're probably objecting. You're just thinking, I don't have that much time. And I know for some of you, you go to work. Right? And I know for some of you, your commute's just you roll out of bed, you sit up, you turn on your computer, at least right now. right? But you go to work, 
you have a lot of video calls during the day, then you have video calls with your friends, and then it's, it's just kind of like, I don't really have time. I'm so tired of Zoom. And he's been running around and you're just like, how am I, how am I possibly going to do that and maintain friendships in ministry? And so, you know, as a result, you've probably found that your friend group, it tends to shrink a little bit. And while that may be despairing to some of you, please be assured that that does tend to be the case in life. As we get older, as we have more responsibilities to tend to, our attention will naturally get split. And as you may love your friend, as much as you may love your friends, you're probably going to have to make greater efforts to keep up with them. And that's okay. When you have a job, a family to take care of, and a ministry you have obligations to, your time to have fun and just chill with friends is naturally going to decrease. And so I'm not asking you to stretch yourself more, but I am saying if, we, if that is our case, right, and we don't have a ton of time, we don't have a ton of time, then that's where we have to make sure that we're intentional in the time that we do spend with other people outside of our groups. And for those of us who have friends who begin to accumulate more responsibilities, whether it's taking care of older parents or they get married, please don't be personally offended if your friend doesn't seem to have as much time to meet up with you anymore. It's not like they love you any less, but the way in which they love you might have to look different because of the other responsibilities that they have to balance. We won't be able to maintain that same level of friendship throughout all these different life stages. And so that's why it's so important for us to be intentional, right? To be, um, to be, to, to, to value the time that we have with others. Right? When you are meeting up with someone else, be fully present, be invested in that conversation and have some intentionality behind parts of your conversation. You can shoot the breeze, you can have fun, you can talk whatever you want, but make sure that there's a little part of it that's actually true fellowship. Make the most of your time with others no matter what life you're, uh, what stage life uh, you're in and make sure that the other person you're meeting up with knows that you want to be there and then you're not just waiting for that conversation to end so that you can go do another thing. I've had friends who treated me like that, um, and they were single friends, but they were busy friends. So we sit down at the church coffee shop. Obviously, it's not our church, uh, but we sit down at the church coffee shop, and they're looking at their phone. They're answering their texts, looking at their their Apple watches, uh, talking to me a little bit, saying, oh, man, how are you doing? And then they're back to their phones, and like, oh, sorry, hold on. i got to take care of something. And I understand that some people are busy, but that doesn't communicate care at all. Be intentional, be fully present, be there. Make sure that at least at that moment, the person that you're talking to knows that you matter to them. That's what's gonna help us a lot when it comes to building these intentional friendships. Okay, and then finally, finally, maybe you didn't want me to come here, but I'm gonna go here. When it comes to dating, okay, when it comes to dating, hear me when I say this, brothers and sisters, you can rejoice in this season of singleness that the Lord has granted you and make the most of it. Right? Serve him with all that you got during this time. You are all just as valuable to this church as the families around you. Without you, all the church, uh, all, the, all those church ministries that need manpower wouldn't have the manpower that we need. Right? When we, uh, I know we can't have it this year, but Fall Fest, right? that wasn't driven primarily by those 
who have families. It was driven by you guys. It's driven by you guys. We need you guys. But if you do desire marriage, if you do desire marriage, don't just sit back and expect that the Lord will magically bring someone alongside you. It's not like you're going to be like Adam. You wake up one day and you're like, oh, I got a hole in my side. And oh, hey, I have a wife. Right? That ain't going to happen. If you desire marriage, grow yourself in wisdom. Grow yourself in wisdom. And look for other people who are similarly pursuing wisdom. The character of a good friend is the same kind of character that you want to find in your future spouse. You've heard or read from many of our married couples, you know, talking about how their spouse is their best friend. That's true. It's the closest form of friendship by God's design because there is a one flesh union involved. So if you want to have a really, really, really good friend, look for a friend who has good and godly character that longs after God and seeks to grow more in Christ-likeness. Make sure that that is their first and primary motivation in life. Now, I know many of you have your preferences when it comes to who you will date and who you, who you will theoretically like to get married to. But in all love and gentleness, let me say this. You might need to get rid of your current list and start again. You might need to do some revisions. Some of you just need to, well, I guess we don't want to talk about fires. But some of you might need to just shred that thing up, okay, and start again. All right, don't just, and this is just by example, this is just by example, but do not only observe ministry involvement from, a, from another person, but try to also find out the depth of relationship that that person has with the Lord. Does that make sense? Don't just look at outward ministry involvement. As you get to know someone, find out about the depth of the relationship that that person has with God. It's easy to be busy. It's easy to do stuff. But does that person love Jesus? Actually love Jesus? See if that person displays a desire not only to grow in their own walk with the Lord, but to help others grow in their walk with the Lord too. Observe, are they focused on others and serving others and caring for others? Or are they primarily focused on self and getting what they want? Essentially, what I'm encouraging you all to do is to have an in-depth view of those that you might be interested in. Get to know them in multiple dimensions, in, in 3D. Right? Don't just settle for a Polaroid snapshot of who they are. Character matters far more than similar interests, fun personality, ease of conversation, and the all-important, but we try to hide it, physical attraction. If you're looking at a person's character first, you might be surprised by the wonderful brother or sister that you may have overlooked when you were first compiling your list that was not entirely based on character. Now, obviously, friendship is a broad topic that we can keep talking about for a long time, but this is uh, all the time that we have tonight. And, you know, I was, uh, I, I was really encouraged and, and blessed by reading through all of the Proverbs this week. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you want more of those principles of how you can be wiser, how you can be a better friend uh, and point people to Christ, your soul would do well just to sit down and try and read through the Proverbs in one sitting. 
It, uh, it doesn't take long. You can probably do it in about uh, in an hour. Uh, and if you think that's too long, well, just think of it as one of those 45-minute TV shows filled with 15 minutes commercials, and you'll be okay. Friendship in the church, you know, it's an important topic for us to cover um, because our relationship in the church is an extension of our love for one another. And when we gather together as a church, whether it be in person or even online, our gathering together shows the oneness that we now have in Christ. Your unsaved relatives, you know, I don't know if many of you thought about this, but, but think about this. Your unsaved relatives should probably think that it's a little weird that we gather every Friday night at 7.30 to have a time where we sing at the screen uh, and uh, we listen to some guy teach from an ancient book and then we go and talk about what we learned. That's kind of strange behavior. But our gathering together, it, it proves something. It proves something. It proves that the gospel works, not just for us as an individual, but for all of us as a church. It works not only to, rem to, to help us deal with the sin in our lives, but to unite us as one in Christ. So yes, friendship in the church is important, but friendship itself is not the end all. It is not the most important reason why we gather. Friendships, they're going to develop over time as we're like-minded in our goal to glorify God together. We can have fun, we can relax, we can enjoy life together. But the most important reason why we exist as a church, the most important reason why we want to grow in our love for one another and in our friendship with one another is so that we can be a testimony to the world that the gospel works and our unity and love for one another is the greatest proof of that. So let's strive to be better when it comes to being good friends who love one another and point each other to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful to you for your word and for how we, we receive principles from your word to help us grow uh, in our wisdom and in our relationship with one another. We pray that you would help us to be friends who genuinely care for one another, who try and check in on one another, and also who desire each other's good. And sometimes that does mean that we must confront to restore uh, another believer. We pray, Lord, that, um, that you would help us to have the courage, to have the discipline, to be willing to do the hard work to grow in Christ's likeness so that we can be better friends so that we can be better evidences of the unity that is in the body of Christ. And uh, for those of us who might need a little more correction than others, we pray that, Lord, you would help us too, that you would help us to humble our hearts and to be ready to receive any kind of instruction that we uh, get and uh, to be willing to take a humble look at ourselves and to confess any sins that we might have. We know it's hard. We know that friendship's hard and it can be messy, but Lord, we know it's worth it because uh, you've brought us together to represent you. And so out of a desire to please you and honor you, we desire to be better friends. Help us, Lord, all in this area. It's your sense that we pray. Amen.